where we left off were these several poems I wanted to read to you last week. I'll start with, uh, who wrote this one? Mr. W.B. William Blake. A war song to Englishmen. Prepare, prepare the iron helm of war. Bring forth the lots cast in the spacious orb. The angel of fate turns them with mighty hands and casts them out upon the darkened earth. Prepare, prepare. Prepare your hearts for death's cold hand. Prepare your souls for flight, your bodies for the earth. Prepare your arms for glorious victory. Prepare your eyes to meet a holy God. Prepare, prepare. Whose fatal scroll is that? Methinks tis mine. Why sinks my heart? Why faltereth my tongue? Had I three lives, I'd die in such a cause and rise with ghosts over the well-fought field. Prepare, prepare. The arrows of Almighty God are drawn. Angels of death stand in the lowering heavens. Thousands of souls must seek the realms of light and walk together on the clouds of heaven. Prepare, prepare. Soldiers prepare our cause as heaven's cause. Soldiers prepare, be worthy of our cause. Prepare to meet our fathers in the sky. Prepare, O oh, troops that are to fall today. Prepare, prepare. Alfred shall smile and make his harp rejoice. The Norman William and the learned clerk and Lionheart and black-browed Edward with his loyal queen shall rise and welcome us. Prepare, prepare. And here is a song written by the immortal Swift. Being an excellent new song upon the surrender of Dunkirk to General Hill, 1712, to the tune of The King Shall Enjoy His Own Again. Spite of Dutch friends and English foes, poor Britain shall have peace at last Holland got towns and we got blows, but Dunkirk's ours will hold it fast. We have got it in a string and the Whigs may all go swing. For among good friends I love to be plain, all their false deluded hopes will or ought to end in ropes. But the queen shall enjoy her own again. Sunderland's run out of his wits and dismal double dismal looks. Wharton can only swear by fits and strutting hall is off the hooks. Old gold dolphin full of spleen made false moves and lost his queen. 
Harry looked fierce and shook his ragged mane, but a prince of high renown swore he'd rather lose a crown than the queen should enjoy her own again. Our merchant ships may cut the line and not be snapped by privateers, and commoners who love good wine will drink it now as well as peers. Landed men shall have their rent, yet their stocks rise cent per cent. The Dutch from hence shall no more millions drain, will bring on us no more debts, nor with bankrupts fill gazettes, and the queen shall enjoy her own again. The towns we took ne'er did us good, what signified the French to beat. We spent our money and our blood to make the Dutchmen proud and greet. But the Lord of Oxford swears, Dunkirk never shall be theirs. The Dutch-hearted Whigs may rail and complain, but true Englishmen may fill a good health to General Hill, for the Queen now enjoys her own again. Here's a piece by Mr. Abraham Cowper. The post comes in, the newspaper is read, the world contemplated at a distance. Hark, tis the twanging horn, or yonder bridge that with its wearisome but needful length bestrides the wintry flood in which the moon sees her unwrinkled face reflected bright, he comes the herald of a noisy world with spattered boots, strapped waist, and frozen locks. News from all nations lumbering at his back, true to his charge, the close-packed load behind, yet careless what he brings. His one concern is to conduct it to the destined inn. And having dropped the expected bag, pass on, he whistles as he goes, light-hearted wretch, cold and yet cheerful, messenger of grief, perhaps to thousands, and of joy to some. To him indifferent whether grief or joy, houses and ashes, and the fall of stocks, births, deaths, and marriages, epistles wet with tears that trickled down the writer's cheeks, fast as the periods from his fluent quill, or charged with amorous sighs of absent swains, or nymphs responsive equally affect his horse and him, unconscious of them all. But oh, the important budget ushered in with such heart-shaking music. Who can say what are his tidings? Have our troops awaked? Or do they still, as if with opium drugged, snore to the murmurs of the Atlantic wave? Is India free, and does she wear her plumed and jeweled turban with a smile of peace, or do we grind her still? The grand debate, the popular harangue, the tart reply, the logic and the wisdom and the wit and the loud laugh, I long to know them all. I burn to set the imprisoned wranglers free and give them voice and utterance once again. Now stir the fire and close the shutters fast. 
but fall the curtains, wheel the sofa round, and while the bubbling and loud hissing urn throws up a steamy column, and the cups that cheer but not inebriate, wait on each, so let us welcome peaceful evening in. Not such his evening, who with shining face sweats in the crowded theater and squeezed and bored with elbow points through both his sides, outscolds a ranting actor on the stage, nor his who patient stands till his feet throb and his head thumps to feed upon the breath of patriots bursting with heroic rage, or placemen all tranquility and smiles. This folio of four pages, happy work, which not even critics criticize that holds inquisitive attention while I read fast bound in chains of silence, which the fair though eloquent themselves yet fear to break. What is it but a map of busy life, its fluctuations and its vast concerns? Here runs a mountainous and craggy ridge that tempts ambition. On the summit sea, the seals of office glitter in his eyes. He climbs, he pants, he grasps them. At his heels, close at his heels, a demagogue ascends, and with a dexterous jerk soon twists him down and wins them, but to lose them in his turn. Here rills of oily eloquence and soft meanders lubricate the course they take. The modest speaker is ashamed and grieved to engross a moment's notice and yet begs, begs a propitious ear for his poor thoughts, however trivial all that he conceives. Sweet bashfulness, it claims at least this praise, the dearth of information and good sense that it foretells us, always comes to pass. Cataracts of declamation thunder here. There forests of no meaning spread the page in which all comprehension wanders lost. While fields of pleasantry amuse us there with merry discants on a nation's woes. The rest appears a wilderness of strange but gay confusion, roses for the cheeks and lilies for the brows of faded age, teeth for the toothless, ringlets for the bold, heaven, earth, and ocean plundered of their sweets, nectarous essences, Olympian dews, Sermons and city feasts and favorite airs, ethereal journeys, submarine exploits, and Cater Selto with his hair on end, at his own wonders, wondering for his bread. Tis pleasant through the loopholes of retreat to peep at such a world, to see the stir of the great Babel and not feel the crowd. To hear the roar she sends through all her gates at a safe distance, where the dying sound falls a soft murmur on the uninjured car. Thus fitting and surveying, thus at ease, the globe and its concerns, I seem advanced to some secure and more than mortal height that liberates and exempts me from them all. It turns submitted to my view, turns round with all its generations, I behold the tumult and am still. The sound of war has lost its terrors ere it reaches me. Grieves, but alarms me not. 
I mourn the pride and avarice that makes man a wolf to man. Hear the faint echo of those brazen throats by which he speaks the language of his heart and sigh but never tremble at the sound. He travels and expatiates as a bee from flower to flower, so he from land to land. The manners, customs, policy of all pay contribution to the store he gleans. He sucks intelligence in every clime and spreads the honey of his deep research. At his return, a rich repast for me. He travels and I too. I tread his deck, ascend his topmast, through his peering eyes, discover countries with a kindred heart, suffer his woes and share in his escapes, while fancy, like the finger of a clock, runs a great circuit and is still at home. And here's a interesting poem by John Pomfret. On the general conflagration and ensuing judgment. There's a short Latin quotation from Ovid, which I won't attempt to read. Now the black days of universal doom. I think this is actually a translation. From it's either uh, from Pindar or an imitation of a Pindaric essay. Now the black days of universal doom, which wondrous prophecies foretold are come. What strong convulsions, what stupendous woe must sinking nature undergo amidst the dreadful wreck and final overthrow. Methinks I hear her, conscious of her fate, with fearful groans and hideous cries fill the presaging skies, unable to support the weight or of the present or approaching miseries. He thinks I hear her summon all, her guilty offspring raving with despair and trembling, cry aloud, prepare ye sublunary powers to attend my funeral. See, see the tragical portents, those dismal harbingers of dire events. Loud thunders roar, and darting lightnings fly through the dark concave of the troubled sky. The fiery ravage has begun, the end is nigh. See how the glaring meteors blaze like baleful torches. Oh, they come to light, dissolving nature to her tomb. And scattering round their pestilential rays, strike the affrighted nations with a wild amaze. 
vast sheets of flame and globes of fire by an impetuous wind are driven through all the regions of the inferior heaven till hidden sulfurous smoke they seemingly expire. Sad and amazed tis to see what mad confusion rages over all the scorching ball. No country is exempt, no nation free, but each partakes the epidemic misery. What dismal havoc of mankind is made by wars and pestilence and dearth through the whole mournful earth, which with a murdering fury they invade, forsook by providence and all propitious aid. Whilst fiends let loose their utmost rage employ to ruin all things here below, their malice and revenge, no limits, no. But in the universal tumult, tumult all destroy. Distracted mortals from their cities fly for safety to their champagne ground. But there no safety can be found. The vengeance of an angry deity with unrelenting fury does enclose them round. And whilst for mercy some aloud implore the God they ridiculed before, and others raving with their woe, for hunger, thirst, despair they undergo. Blaspheme and curse the power they should adore. The earth parched up with drought, her jaws extends, and opening wide a dreadful tomb, the howling multitude at once descends together all into her burning womb. The trembling Alps abscond their aged heads and mighty pillars of infernal smoke which from their bellowing caverns broke and suffocates whole nations where it spreads. Sometimes the fire within divides the massy rivers of those secret chains which hold together their prodigious sides and hurls the shattered rocks over all the plains. While towns and cities, everything below is overwhelmed with the same burst of woe. No showers descend from the malignant sky to cool the burning of the thirsty field. The trees, no leaves, no grass, the meadows yield. But all is barren, all is dry, the little rivulets no more to larger streams or tribute pay nor to the ebbing ocean they, which with a strange, unusual roar, forsakes those ancient bounds it would have passed before. And to the monstrous deep in vain retires, for even the deep itself is not secure, but belching subterraneous fires increases still the scalding calenture, which neither earth nor air nor water can endure. The sun, by sympathy, concerned at those convulsions, pangs, and agonies which on the whole creation sees is to substantial darkness turned. The neighboring moon, as if a purple flood overflowed her tottering orb, appears like a huge mass of black corrupting blood. For she herself a dissolution fears. The larger planets, which once shone so bright with the reflected rays of borrowed light, shook from their center without motion lie unwieldy globes of solid night and ruinous lumber of the sky amidst this dreadful hurricane of woes for fire confusion horror and despair fill every region of the tortured earth and air 
the great archangel, his loud trumpet blows, at whose amazing sound fresh agonies upon expiring nature sees. For now she'll in few minutes know the ultimate event and fate of all below. Awake, ye dead, awake, he cries, for all must come, all that had human breath arise to hear your last unalterable doom. At this the ghastly tyrant who had swayed so many thousand ages uncontrolled, no longer could his scepter hold, but gave up all and was himself a captive made, the scattered particles of human clay, which in the silent graves dark chambers lay, resumed their pristine forms again, and now from mortal grow immortal men. Stupendous energy of sacred power which can collect wherever cast the smallest atoms and that shape restore, which they had worn so many years before, that through strange accidents and numerous changes past. See how the joyful angels fly from every quarter of the sky to gather and to convoy all the pious sons of human race to one capacious place, above the confines of this flaming ball. See with what tenderness and love they bear those righteous souls through the tumultuous air, whilst the ungodly stand below, raging with shame, confusion, and despair amidst the burning overthrow, expecting fiercer torments and acuter woe. Round them infernal spirits howling fly. O oh, horror, curses, tortures, chains, they cry and roar aloud with execrable blasphemy. Hark how the daring sons of infamy, who once dissolved in pleasures lay and laughed at this tremendous day, to rocks and mountains now to hide them cry. But rocks and mountains all in ashes lie. Their shames so mighty and so strong their fear that rather than appear before a God and sense, they would be hurled amongst the burning ruins of the world and lie concealed, if possible, for ever there. Time was they would not own a deity, nor after death a future state. But now, by sad experience, find too late, there is, and terrible to that degree, that rather than behold his face, they'd cease to be. And sure, tis better if heaven would give consent to have no being, but they must remain forever and forever be in pain. O oh, inexpressible, stupendous punishment, which cannot be endured, yet must be underwent. But now the eastern skies expanding wide, the glorious judge omnipotent descends, and to the sublunary world his passage bends, where clothed with human nature he did once reside. Round him the bright ethereal armies fly, and loud triumphant hallelujahs sing with songs of praise and hymns of victory to their celestial king. All glory, power, dominion, majesty, now and for everlasting ages be to the essential one and co-eternal three. Perish that world as tis decreed, which saw the God incarnate bleed. Perish by thy almighty vengeance, those who durst thy person or thy laws expose. The cursed refuse of mankind and hell's proud seed. 
Now to the unbelieving nations show that art a God from all eternity, not titular, or but by office so, and let them the mysterious union see of human nature with the deity. With mighty transports, yet with awful fears, the good behold this glorious sight. Their God in all his majesty appears, ineffable, amazing, bright, and seated on a throne of everlasting light. Round the tribunal next to the Most High, in sacred discipline and order stand the peers and princes of the sky, as they excel in glory or command. Upon the right hand, that illustrious crowd, in the white bosom of a shining cloud, whose souls, abhorring all ignoble crimes, did with a steady course pursue his holy precepts in the worst of times. Maugre what earth or hell, what men or devils could do. And now that God they did to death adore, for whom such torments and such pains they bore, returns to place them on those thrones above, where undisturbed, uncloyed, they will possess divine substantial happiness, unbounded as his power and lasting as his love. Go, bring the judge impartial frowning cries, those rebel sons who did my laws despise, whom neither threats nor promises could move, not all my sufferings, nor all my love, to save themselves from everlasting miseries. At this, ten millions of archangels flew swifter than lightning or the swiftest thought and less than in an instant brought the wretched cursed infernal crew who with distorted aspects come to hear their sad and tolerable doom. Alas, they cry, one beam of mercy show, thou all-forgiving deity, Departing crimes is natural to thee. Crush us to nothing, or suspend our woe. But if it cannot, cannot be, and we must go into a gulf of fire, for who can with omnipotence contend? Grant, for thou art a god, it may at last expire, and all our tortures have an end. Eternal burnings, oh, we cannot bear, but now our bodies too immortal are. Let them be pungent to the last degree, and let our pains innumerable be, but let them not extend to all eternity. Lo, now there does no place remain for penitence and tears, but all must by their actions stand or fall, to hope for pity is in vain. The die is cast, and not to be recalled again. Two mighty books are by two angels brought, in this impartially recorded stands the law of nature and divine commands, in that each action, word, and thought, whate'er was said in secret or in secret wrought. And first the virtuous and the good, with all the fury of temptation stood, and bravely passed through ignominy, chains, and blood, attended by their guardian angels, come to the tremendous bar of final doom. In vain the grand accuser, railing, brings a long indictment of enormous things whose guilt wiped off by penitential tears and their Redeemer's blood and agonies no more to their astonishment appears, but in the secret womb of dark oblivion lies. Come now, my friends, he cries, ye sons of grace, partakers once of all my wrongs and shame, despised and hated for my name. 
come to your saviors and your God's embrace. Ascend and those bright diadems possess for you by my eternal father made ere the foundation of the world was laid and that surprising happiness immense as my own Godhead and will ne'er be less for when I languishing in prison lay naked and starved almost for want of bread you did your kindly visits pay both clothed my body and my hunger fed wearied with sickness or oppressed with grief your hand was always ready to supply whene'er I wanted you were always by to share my sorrows or to give relief in all distress so tender was your love I could no anxious trouble bear nor black misfortune or vexatious care but you were still impatient to remove and mourned your charitable hand should unsuccessful prove all this you did though not to me in person yet to mine in misery and shall forever live in all the glories that a god can give or a created beings able to receive at this the architects divine on high innumerable thrones of glory raise on which they in appointed order place the human co-heirs of eternity and with united hymns the guard the god incarnate praises O holy, holy, holy Lord, eternal God, almighty one, be thou forever and be thou alone by all thy creatures constantly adored. Ineffable, co-equal three, who from non-entity gave birth to angels and to men, to heaven and to earth, yet always wast thyself and wilt forever be. But for thy mercy we had ne'er possessed these thrones and this immense felicity could ne'er have been so infinitely blessed. Therefore, all glory, power, dominion, majesty to thee, O Lamb of God, to thee forever, longer than forever be. Thank you.